two-thirds of women journalists polled have experienced some kind of intimidation or threats or abuse in relationship to their work. So we're talking about not only the the emotional damage that comes along with troll and troll behavior, but also uh, some economic impact as well. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell with another podcast about the changing state of digital news. On the phone with me today is Michelle Ferrier, Associate Dean for Innovation at Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. How are you doing, Michelle? I'm doing great today, Michael. How are you? I'm doing fine. I was really looking forward to this conversation. It's on a topic that, that's been on my mind for, for quite a while, and I was hoping to, to, to get to it. Before we start, though, I want to read a, a, a quote here that's actually on, on a site you're associated with. 25% of young women online have been sexually harassed online, and 26% have experienced stalking. Moreover, women overall are disproportionately targeted by the most severe forms of online abuse, including doxing and violent threats. And that's from a June 2014 report from the Pew Research Center. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts about that quote and the problem that it sort of describes? I think it points to a problem that obviously is very gendered and focused, particularly around women and the Internet as a tool for communication. So that particular statistic talks to, I think, the overall issue that we see of uh, women when they go online and women when they have a voice. I think what my focus and the work that I'm doing is targeted towards particularly women journalists and women writers and the intimidation and abuse that they face online because of the added mission and role that they play in society in terms of getting news and information out to audiences. And so I think that that statistic talks to what's happening overall in our culture. And then there's a a subset, a group of women, particularly women journalists, who are particularly at risk for some of this danger. So women who um, are basically getting their voice out there about almost anything uh, find themselves becoming targets uh, of these online trolls. Absolutely. I think one of the other statistics that we have a couple of other statistics on on our Trollbuster site that two-thirds of women journalists polled have experienced some kind of intimidation or threats or abuse in relationship to their work. So we're talking about not only the, the emotional damage that comes along with troll and troll behavior, but also uh, some economic impact as well. The Women Action and Media did a report on Twitter specifically, and uh, the women who responded to their studies said 27% experienced some kind of hate speech, sexist, racist, or homophobic. Another 22% experienced doxing, which is where personal information is leaked online about your location, about bank accounts, etc., that puts you at risk economically as well as physically. Yeah, I know that with doxing, for example, that that was something there were there was some uh, having to do with uh, GamerGate. I guess last year there were journalists who were writing in the the gaming journalism uh, community who were experiencing sort of personal attacks. Um, mm-hmm. Their um, personal information was put out there, and, and uh, because they were speaking out in a different way, but also be, because uh, maybe being perceived as women, that they might be easier targets to somebody who was an anonymous um, troll. Right. I I don't know if it's necessarily that they're easier targets. I think they are the typical targets. And so when you think about the kinds of issues that we have in society in general and physical world, they translate into the technologies that we build online. And so therefore, the behaviors that we see, the gender uh, bias that we see in society in general, translates to the kinds of intimidation in women that experience online in these kinds of online platforms and forums. What do you think is so prevalent? Is it it just the anonymity that, that 
that people can find online, the, the ease in, in being able to sort of reach out to other people without sure. having any type of uh, repercussion? Sure. I think anonymity is, is a huge part of it, that people can feel somewhat safe in their own identity and, and attacking and coming after others without repercussion, without consequence. I think there's another aspect of this as well in that uh, if we think about this as the sole, you know, young teenager boy in a basement who has self-esteem issues, who's doing this in his free time because he gets a power trip off of this, that's might be partly true, but what we're seeing is concerted efforts by groups online to shut down powerful women's voices, and that includes women that have an opinion, whether it's journalists, whether they're writing about particular topics, whether they're columnists. These are the women that are being systematically attacked through these online venues. Can you give any examples, recent examples of, of, of cases where this happened? Oh, gosh. Um, yes, there's um, probably the one that was most uh, most egregious, really, happened to a, a reporter called uh, Criado Perez, who was writing about having women on uh, the currency. And this was out of a European country. And she wrote about, why aren't there women on our currency? And that engendered a whole host of death threats and rape threats against her for even making this suggestion that we might want to have money that reflects the population. We've had recent reports that we've been monitoring of uh, women who are writing about and developing online universes and animation, etc., being targeted because people don't feel that their work is representative. We've had other people that across the boundaries in terms of kind of creative industries, so we're talking about journalism, but creative industries as well, and people like Amanda Hess and others that have, um, have been targets of attacks because of um, the work that they do. But there's, for everyone that I'm naming, there's tens and hundreds of others who haven't risen to the level of public attention yet that we don't know about. Yeah, and the, and the many other people who just, you know, aren't part of the, the journalism dialogue but are, are, are facing this in in, in mm. day-to-day life online. Um, so the reason I'm, ta- I'm talking to you, not just because you know so much about it, but is because you're actually trying to do something about combating trolls. Um, you're, you're putting together an app. It's called Trollbusters. Can you sort of tell us about that? So Trollbusters is actually a, a, a suite of services that we're developing to support targets of online harassment, particularly women writers, women journalists, and women publishers. So women that may have started hyperlocal online news sites, etc., find themselves um, at risk because of the work that they're doing. And when you think about the work of freelancers and others, those women are particularly vulnerable because they don't have organizational support to be able to keep them employed and keep them in place. And so what Trollbusters is trying to do is support those targets using a positive messaging. It's a way for us to be able to kind of flood the stream. Right now we're working on Twitter as a platform, but to flood that stream with positive messages, messages about support, messages about how to protect yourself so that at the point of attack, when somebody's under attack, they're getting resources, etc., to be able to keep them from becoming overwhelmed and coming offline, which is what we don't want them to do. We want them to persist online. So Trollbusters is designed to provide kind of a hedge of protection around women online so that they know somebody's looking and has got their back and support them emotionally as the attacks are unfolding. And then what we hope it does as well is send a message to 
the trolls that somebody outside of the person they're targeting is watching and collecting information and perhaps puts them in a little bit of fear that they might be found out and they'll cease their behavior. So we're hoping there's dual effects. One, we support the target, but also we create an environment that's less attractive for the troll. So some of this behavior is, well, is illegal. Is there any mm-hmm. sense in a, an approach to, to try to hold the, the trolls accountable? I think that's the, that's the problem. I think there's two areas right now that really are, are, are strategic areas that need to be resolved, is that we do have laws in place. However, getting legal enforcement of those laws is a real challenge. So there's two places where we see that coming into place, that challenge with the laws themselves. One is with the platforms and the platforms and what they require for someone who is a target to be able to supply to demonstrate that there's been some kind of harm to them. So the language sometimes is egregious enough that Twitter or other platforms can look at the language, etc. Sometimes it's this invasive, pervasive kind of behavior, a stalking behavior that trolls can also take on that is a little bit more subtle and a little bit more intimidation. And it's that kind of persistent dragging you into um, this kind of abyss that goes on that we're trying to protect against as well. And the platforms require, in some instances, an inordinate amount of work for people to be able to document and demonstrate that this is happening to them. So the platforms need to come up with better ways of monitoring and helping to block or remedy or take down um, the sites that are offending sites. And while we target Twitter, um, this is the same kind of conversation that's happening at Facebook and at Reddit and uh, all the other platforms that allow for this kind of user-generated content have to deal with this issue. The second place a point of of problem with the law is law enforcement itself. Um, Law enforcement is woefully out of date in terms of understanding how this online behavior crosses into physical and offline behaviors that can have serious short-term and long-term effects on, on targets. And so in terms of the investigation of these types of crimes, in terms of their willingness to prosecute and put energy into investigating these crimes, they're woefully behind the eight ball in terms of being able to address this. So not only does the target have to deal with the trolls, they then have the additional burden of having to prove their case to both law enforcement and to the platforms in order to be able to get some some justice and some recourse for what's happening to them, which is a very, very hard burden for the women that this happens to. Well, certainly we, we talk about a, a particular woman um, who may be, may be the victim of, of an attack like this. Is there any type of effort in the journalism community Uh, Any organizations that are sort of trying to throw their weight behind this to to get some movement? New laws or or trying to make uh, the laws be be enforced? There's uh, been a large conversation, I think, growing this past year since January when Gamergate first hit and built to um, a real conversation both nationally as well as internationally about civil behavior online and how do we moderate that. I kind of come from the school that humans will be humans no matter where they are, whether it's physical space or online space. And so the behaviors that we see will translate into these new technologies. But I do think that there are ways that we can and should be able to 
moderate these spaces better and not abdicate that responsibility as a platform and expect that individuals can protect themselves from, like I said, the very serious short-term and long-term effects. Some of the groups that have tackled this issue are everything from Women Action and Media, as I mentioned, the International Women's Media Foundation, who initially had the summit that talked about um, where we developed the Trollbusters idea to other women's groups that have dealt with this issue, all the way up to the United Nations that has uh, developed language and some visibility around making this an international issue as well. Do you think that there's a, a enough you know, or growing concern in newsrooms that, you know, that they're willing to sort of step forward and, and help the larger um, fight, but also to, to, to try to provide some sort of protections for uh, some of the journalists that they take care of? I think it's this year's a real eye opener. Um, this is really what I think um, has happened in this past year, and why I think it's been a watershed moment, not only for trollbusters, but this issue of of online harassment. Is that I think newsrooms and journalism organizations are waking up to the fact that this behavior has been ongoing, and they have not taken it seriously within their own newsrooms. And I was recently on a panel at the Online News Association, talking specifically at, about this issue with a variety of people on the panel. And it was really clear, not only from the journalists in the room who were deeply, deeply moved by what we were talking about, because many of them had experienced it and had had their own unresolved issues with this very topic. Um, But also I heard from um, managing editors and editors that came up to me after the session saying, I just never took I never even had this perspective as a male, white male in our society. This perspective didn't even cross my mind. And I'm thinking about the young women that I'm sending into City Hall to do stories who are being sexually harassed, perhaps by politicians, perhaps by other people who are hoping to gain favor with the newspaper. We don't have systems in place to deal with our own internal people. And so I think this is an issue that professional organizations have not seriously put on their agenda over the past several years. I don't think this is an issue that many newsrooms have really tackled with any depth. And I think this year we'll begin to see much more attention being paid at the newsroom level to uh, security for uh, the journalists, both online and off. And I'm hoping to see kind of a, a similar conversation happening in higher education with our journalism programs, where 60 to 70 percent of our graduates out of those programs are women. And so if this issue doesn't already affect our newsrooms, it's going to increasingly become a problem as the people that are hired into the newsrooms are the women that are graduating from our programs now. Has, has Ohio j- adjusted its uh, journalism program to sort of address this or folded this into some of maybe their ethics or law or any of the classes like that? We actually, because of the work that I've been doing around Trollbusters, are, are having some online forums and some physical forums as well to talk about this issue. So we actually have one scheduled coming up where our students will be exposed and understand some of why this issue is critical and how they can protect themselves online. But I think it's it's something for a much broader conversation because we don't we glamorize the role of journalists in society, but we very rarely talk about the the real hard realities of doing this work in a very public way, both online and off, in the kinds of uh, ways in which we do journalism these days. Yeah, and it, and it's really important that we that we keep this in the dialogue. And maybe you know, I'm I'm a white male. I'm I, I'm not, I don't manage anybody, so I don't have anybody that, <laughs> that I can I can have effect change. But you know, we need to keep this conversation going. 
everybody, no matter where they are in a journalism organization, needs to be thinking about this and, and maybe bringing it up when they can and saying, hey, you know, this seems to be a real concern across our industry. You know, what are we doing about it? How can we make sure that, you know, this doesn't happen and how can we, you know, help the people that may it may have happened to? Just keep that right. dialogue going. Right. I think, you you know, you see that in the South by Southwest issue that just came up yeah. the past week or so, where South by Southwest got trolled for having two panels related, somewhat related tangentially to the issue of online harassment and gender issues in the new media. I'll characterize them both that broadly. And because of the death threats they received, they shut down those panels and received such pushback from the journalism community that they now reinstated and are building a whole day-long summit around this issue. So um, while their initial reaction uh, was one that was appalling to me. Here's uh, an organization that, that is touting creativity and innovation, etc., and yet we're caving to threats that women and journalists um, deal with all the time in their work. Um, and so the fact that they are able and are working around a different solution to be able to make that happen, I think, is really important, and that we will be able to have a conversation, hopefully, at that summit where we can dive more deeply into what newsrooms should be doing, what law enforcement can be doing, what women's organizations can be doing. Um, this is not just a, a feminist issue, as it's been characterized. It really has to do with diverse voices across the board, having access to the technologies and platforms to be able to promote themselves. And as soon as the Internet rose in its prominence as a tool, a more democratic tool, we should say, for producing news and information that allowed a very free and ubiquitous technology to be put into the hands of people who did not have voice, we saw the rise of this kind of trolling behavior happening in those platforms to shut down those voices. And so I think we need to understand that we are taking those same offline behaviors and bringing them into the online world, and we've got to come up with similar strategies to be able to deal with that in the online world. Yeah, let's leave the let's leave the bullies where we can see them, and then we can deal with them in the real world, not <laughs> not let them hide in the in their dark basements. Now, Trollbuster seems like a very positive way to sort of approach this. That you're actually you're applying the pressure at at the point of attack. You're providing you know support, positivity to the person who is under the attack, so that you know this is a terrible situation. Here are the resources. Here are the things that can sort of help you. How you know where are you guys at in your process of uh, of uh, rolling this out? Is this something that people are able to get to now? Or yes, absolutely. If if they go to troll-busters.com, which is the website, it will take you to two things. One, people can report an incident right now. So we are collecting data about incidences that happen um, across the web, and what we do is collect data from both bystanders, people who see trolling behavior happening and report the URLs to us, and then also from the targets themselves. We will actually only intervene when the target themselves contact us because we are going and basically using at mentions in their Twitter feed to provide them with support. So they have to say, yes, I want support for us to go in there. But we are doing some extensive monitoring around several hashtags and several people who are been reported by bystanders to be able to um, begin to understand the language that's being used so that we can refine our monitoring tools and actually find targets rather than waiting for targets to contact us. We're also collecting data for law enforcement to be able to give them a better program 
profile, et cetera, of what are the kinds of things that we're seeing and uh, how they can be more vigilant in helping people who are targets of this kind of behavior. And so right now, if you go to the website, we are already collecting that data through our incident reports on the website. We are already servicing targets um, through our positive messaging campaign. And we send to bystanders who send us information. We say, you know, please encourage the target to follow up on us, follow up with us, and submit a request so that we can help themselves. But if not, please share the resources we have widely about raising awareness about protecting yourself online. And we call it digital hygiene. But basically, basic steps you can do to stay anonymous online, to be able to protect your files, to be able to protect your location data as an ordinary citizen. And I think that's really important to bring that awareness to people as well and consciousness about just overall online privacy and how they can stay safe online. So things move pretty quickly on Twitter and on the Internet in general. How quickly are you able to move on something like this? Well, usually as soon as we get a report from a target, we are able within a couple of hours to be able to um, make sure that we have consent. Um, As I said, we don't operate without consent from the target themselves. So there's a verification process where we verify that the target is asking for this information. And then we will begin to put what we call our protocols. So we will put certain protocols into the feed. And we are testing a variety of things right now, text messaging. We're also testing visual messaging messages. So we want to, and the blend of both of those. So we want to be able to test and see what kinds of messages are most effective in supporting the target emotionally. So can we use positive quotes, let's say from Martin Luther King or inspirational, courageous messages? Is that enough? Can we mix that up with messages about very proactive things they can do right now? So we've got a series of protocols that we're testing to see which ones work best on the targets and support them, and then also monitoring those streams over time to see if the troll activity ramps up as a result of what we do, which we hope doesn't happen, <laughs> um, or whether um, we are able to basically dilute the stings of those trolls by drowning out their voices in the stream with positive messaging and getting them to stop their behavior as well. So kind of the twofold effect that we're looking for in the work that we're doing. That seems like a really, really smart and strong uh, approach to this. You know, before we, we started talking, you, you sort of mentioned in passing this, uh, this decision came out, I think it was uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago, about mm-hmm. Facebook changing its uh, anonymity policy. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you sort of talked briefly about some of the concerns you had about that. Can we sort of go back to that? What, is, what are your thoughts sure. on that? Well, so I come at this work from Trollbusters, really from my own personal experiences. So I've uh, worked in newspapers on online community forums since the beginning when they first started developing these forums. And so I'm very familiar um, in my work as well as through my research with online community and online community management. So that framework really does help shape some of my thinking. The other part of of the experience that comes into it is that I used to be a columnist at a newspaper and received hate mail through the mail before we had the ability to put these things online in a way that people could comment, etc. And so because my face was in the newspaper and I did have a regular column, I received hate mail. And those two experiences, both as a columnist and receiving hate mail and trying to deal with that both legally as well as um, professionally, 
really help shape what Trollbusters has become, which is a platform to really help support women, women writers in this way. Um, the reason why I mentioned Facebook was because in, in the earlier iterations, as we struggled with our online communities as, as newspapers and other media entities, we really looked at the issue of anonymity and the problem that that caused and people feeling like they had um, this kind of invisible cloak that they could put on and just blast away at whatever the story might be. And so I was always amazed in the newsroom that we could put up a story about an African-American family whose house had just burnt down. And inevitably, within 20 comments, it would devolve into this political racial argument where the family's being re-victimized through the online comments about them. And I found that really disturbing. And so I've been following kind of the moves of media since I've come back into, into the academy. Sorry, excuse me. Okay. Uh, into the academy um, to um, look at what are some of the solutions. And one of the solutions that uh, newspapers move to was basically to abdicate responsibility for their online moderation and move towards uh, requiring authentication through Facebook as a way for you to comment. So in order for you to be able to comment on a news site, you had to use your Facebook profile, which was your real identity. And that idea was to make sure that people thought twice about what they put online when they had to write something that was tied to their, their real identity. I think that that's going to become problematic when journalism and these forms that we have rely on Facebook because one of the things that Facebook is looking at from this recent report is actually allowing more anonymity in their profiles. And one of the things that I actually have begun telling young journalists is that they might want to consider a pseudonym as they move online, as they develop blogs, as they develop a personality in these spaces. It's hard unless you've been through it to understand how emotionally and economically damaging this kind of activity can be. There are women that have still yet to recover their careers as a result of having been trolled because with search engine optimization, all of this data is scraped and spit back out to whoever pulls up your name. And so there's the short-term effects of dealing with the troll behavior and then the long-term reputation effects. And so really the move by Facebook for anonymity, obviously any change to the technology is going to have ramifications for someone. The move towards anonymity is really Facebook's nod to helping LGBTQ, transgender, and other people who are, are really seriously at risk online physically for, for rape and death threats um, and other of the most really egregious forms of online harassment to help them protect themselves online by having uh, the ability to have alternative personalities, to be able to describe themselves in a way that's different from their official gender designation and identity that's been created. So they're doing something to address a real need. However, the implication for news organizations is that they may need to find another way to validate their readers and their online comment sections if they use Facebook as a platform for that kind of validation. So the ripple effects of, of that platform changing its platform will affect how journalism organizations think about and moderate their online uh, commenting from, from here moving forward if this indeed gets implemented within the next couple of months. Wow. It, it's it's incredible when you think of all, you know, you say ripple effect, how how little changes, uh, something that, that is being done for the good could actually turn out to be something really bad for journalists and for other people. 
Um, right. Well, I think what it means is that journal- journalism and journalism organizations, if indeed they find value in the online t- commenting and dialogue, that they've got to put the money and resources behind it to moderate those those online comments. As I said, because I'd been an online manager of these communities in the past, I know the value of, of strong moderation. And usually where there is strong moderation, you typically have some controls and somebody that's in place to watch what's happening and moderate the conversation. What journalism organizations have done is thrown up their hands and say, we'll use authentication to kind of get at and hopefully minimize the kind of damage that's on there with very little back back-end strong moderation by real people and have just kind of abdicated that to the platforms as a responsibility. And I think with this move by Facebook, they may need to take that responsibility back on for themselves. Yeah, or other, or other websites that have just turned off their comments and not even even bothering to do any of that. And it's so, right. it's so important. I mean, you know, one of the great things about about online journalism is is the engagement with the audience. And, you know, I, I'm with you. I've been, I've been, I've been a journalist for a long time and, and I can, the countless times, the most wonderful human stories, how quickly somebody can turn it into something really bad right. on a comment board. It's, it's astounding. Um, just how evil some people are, um, or just, you know, bullying, just how bully, how many bullies there are out there and, uh, bullies slash cowards, however you want to want to put it. But, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is. I think engagement, reader engagement is really important and we can't, you know, close that da- dialogue between our audience, but we also need to be able to protect people in our audience, pe- people in our, in our newsroom from, from this type of trollish behavior. And, mm-hmm. and uh, to, in order for us to continue the, the great work that we do as journalists. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I, I think you're right. What people have done is if they haven't gone to a more authentic identity using Facebook as a as a way to log in to to put those comments in, they've pretty much shut down the online comments on certain stories that they think might engender some kind of response from the trolls, which is a, a, again a form of self censorship. If we really value dialogue, how can we build a tool and invest the resources, people and otherwise, into that tool? to make it a place for civil civil dialogue. I think we can do that. We just need to put the resources towards it, and that just has not been a priority um, many of our news organizations to date. Yeah, and that's sad because that's something we really need to get behind. We need to put the resources so that there's somebody there who's watching those boards, who's monitoring them, and make sure that the dialogue continues and that we're not shutting people out and shut vo- voices out, the reasonable voices that are that are trying to to make change and make comments on, on your stories and, and, and deliver feedback and possibly even news to help right. do your job. So this is all crazy, crazy stuff. So tell, tell us again um, how people can find out about Trollbusters. Sure. So Trollbusters, they can go to wwwtroll Busters.com. Uh, they can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Your SOS Team. That's your Y-O-U-R SOS Team. And we'd be happy to um, take those incidents reports and be able to help people out. Um, we really want to make sure people are, are aware and understand the ramifications and that there's someone out there that's got their back, and that's Trollbusters. Great, great. Well, thank you for coming on. This has been an excellent conversation and I'm glad we had it because it is such an important thing that we all need to be mindful of and keep talking about. We got to keep this dialogue going in order for us to sort of to make something good come out of this. Absolutely. Well, thank you Michael for having me on the show.
You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. This week's episode was produced by Amber Healy, Nicole Grisco, and Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also subscribe to It's All Journalism on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now Spreaker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>